So, hello again, everyone. Welcome back. I want to talk about a theme that's been particularly important for me over the last few months. And this theme originally came out of a month-long retreat that I did at home in the month of February, where I was doing about seven or eight hours a day of formal meditation, doing the usual things around my, my home. And out of that time, particularly because of some instructions I was working on, I came to explore the theme of doing and not doing. We could say being active and being more receptive in practice. And it was, very, it was a very powerful theme because at times I would work with the instructions, don't do anything. And I would find that I have a deep conditioning to be, we might say, a doer, an identity as a doer. And that actually this exploration of doing and not doing was taking me into subtle levels of conditioning and really opening up um, a lot of very, very interesting territory. And so I want to share some of what I've explored in that investigation, some of what has come to mind. And I think it's very relevant for both our meditation in our daily lives. And I think as we look into this, many themes open up. You know, there's the question of doing. We can get into questions of being busy, uh, being a doer, looking at questions of the relationship of doing and being, and even the dimension of time comes in. So much of doing has orientation towards the future. A very crucial theme in meditation, but also in daily life. So that's what I want to explore. And I really want to present some of what I've found very much as a co-explorer. You know, even though I'm taking the role right now of uh, teaching, uh, we might say, of offering sustained thoughts, the, the spirit I really want to have is that more of a collaborator to open up a territory where we can share some of our, our common experience and explore it together. So I'm going to follow this progression in looking at these themes. I want to first talk about the importance of doing in meditation. But then I want to come back and also point to the importance of not doing in meditation, similar to what we explored in the guided practice, looking at 
being active, being receptive. Being receptive is, we could say in a way, is pulling back from a certain kind of doing. And want to point to how this kind of inquiry can let us look more carefully at the nature of the doer, which again is such a fundamental identity for so many of us. You know, people often do so they can get to a place of not doing, which is sometimes called retirement, and then sometimes find that they can't let go of doing, right? Um, I found a quote from, uh, this is from the San Francisco Chronicle, from last December, so still sort of in the heart of the pandemic. Uh, this was a woman from Healdsburg said, I don't know why I'm so busy when there's nothing to do. <laughs> right? And so there's a lot to see in looking at ourselves as doers. So that's my, that's my third theme I'm going to look at. And then fourthly, point to several different spiritual traditions to suggest that there's, there's a very, very powerful vision that we find East and West of having our doing come out of our being, we might say, or having our doing come out of a radical non-doing. And I'll explain that when we get there. Simple way we could say it is that can, can my doing, my action, my even my work, can, can it come out of a quality of a deep restful sense of being? Or is our doing always more uh, grasping at things? We're trying to make this happen. So I'll explore that both in the context of meditation and in the context of ordinary doing in daily life. And all along the way, I'll be pointing to ways that with this exploration, we can inform our own practice. I'll be giving pointers and suggestions for how to bring some of... Uh, these insights and these inquiries into doing and not doing, how to bring that into our, our daily practice. So a starting point. Doing is really, really important in meditation. Very important to actually to uh, do it in the first place, right? How many people struggle with doing meditation? Yeah, some of us, right? So... Simply having uh, the regular doing of meditation isn't always so easy. And so the doing of meditation, so to speak, the, the doing of mindfulness is very crucial. Even more so when we look to the teachings of the Buddha, we continually find one of the core messages being really take your practice seriously. His final words, in fact, were these. Everything is impermanent. 
work out your practice with continual care and energy. Some translations it says, everything's impermanent. Work out your own, your own development with diligence, continually practicing. So it may be continually asking, what is wise right now? What is compassionate? This is a core part of our practice. How do I practice right now? You know, I've had, I'm having a difficult discussion. How do I practice? You know, starting point is just committing to regular mindfulness practice or regular loving kindness practice. And so part of our practice is the continual intention to be aware, to be mindful, to be wise, moment to moment, to be compassionate, moment to moment. And so that's so central for our practice. And there's also the very fundamental teaching given by the Buddha of what's usually called right effort or wise effort. That skillful effort is crucial to the practice. Don't get anywhere without skillful effort. You know, and, and that's often understood as the effort to be aware. You know, in the traditional teachings about wise effort, it's especially the effort to, when you find yourself going into a difficult place, not to go there. When you are in a difficult place, knowing what to do to get out of it. Developing good habits and keeping them going. That's the essence of skillful effort. And so the, you know, the pointing is to the centrality of skillful effort. So clearly doing is really crucial for our meditation to do our daily practice, to make an effort to have clear intention. And also very much in our lives, a certain amount of doing is crucial, kind of goes without question. You know, that so much uh, just to keep our lives together takes a lot of doing, the doing of work, the doing of errands, raising children, and so forth. Enormous amount of doing, and not even to mention uh, addressing injustice, uh, um, acting as a citizen. All of these involve forms of doing. So clearly doing is central. No question about it. And yet we could also say, this is my second uh, point, that a kind of not doing is also very central in meditation and daily life. You know, in meditation, we could call this aspect of non-doing, we could point to it as the receptive dimension. So as I suggested in the guided meditation, there's an active dimension of our practice, which would be the actually sitting down on the cushion, so to speak, doing the practice. Also the active dimension of knowing what's happening, labeling it. I'm thinking, I'm planning, right? Uh, knowing what's happening, labeling it, continually coming back to the breath or to whatever else is the anchor. These are all crucial aspects of doing that we might call more active, but there's also very crucially 
a receptive aspect to our practice where we want to, when we're connected with the breath, simply let it be. And if we're only active, there'll be a kind of imbalance in our practice. We we'll, might be caught in over-efforting or being too active. So there's a place where we want to just settle back in a sense, let experience come to us, but still notice it. You know, my colleague Gil Fronsdale said that this can be understood in terms of uh, a kayaking or canoeing metaphor. There's paddling, very crucial for canoeing or kayaking. That's the active dimension. But there's also floating, enjoying the water, being carried along by the flow. Very crucial for kayaking, canoeing, very crucial for our meditation. So here this was the invitation simply to be with the flow of experience without trying to control it. A crucial part of our meditation experience. Simply stopping, enjoying. You know, it would be the counterpart of that would be really stopping and enjoying life as it presents itself to us, enjoying the sunset, enjoying not doing. You know, and we can, as I speak, you can imagine, maybe thinking of your own experience, that sometimes it's hard not to continue being active. Sometimes it's hard not to do. How many people have a free day and think, oh, what should I do? I have to do something. And how many people find it hard, actually, just to relax and be with the flow of the day? How many people can relate to that? Right? Or how many people find yourself on a vacation and get nervous because of all the open time? Anyone experience that? Yeah. And so very, very similar. And so... For some of us, being more active is easier. And being receptive is actually harder. Some of this is connected with gender conditioning. You know, then, for example, certain roles which require people to be receptive. I think of uh, being a psychotherapist. One has to listen, 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 right? I don't think it's a coincidence that 75% of therapists are women women are a little more conditioned to be receptive. And, and it might not all be conditioning. It's hard, it's hard to know. The, the research actually shows that women tend to be more empathic. And it certainly is in the conditioning, the gender conditioning, but it all, some of the psychologists think that it also might be generations of women as primary caregivers for children something gets into the DNA about being receptive, listening to the child. So not so clear, but clear that for many of us, women as well, receptivity and not doing can be hard. That's what I've seen. The Buddha gave a metaphor of neither being too tight nor too loose. It's something we can look at in our meditation. It's very good guidance, for example, at the uh, beginning of the meditation. If we know that we have tendencies to be a little bit tighter, 
to over effort, to emphasize the doing, invite a little more receptivity. Do that with your intentions at the beginning of a sitting. No? And we're looking for a kind of a balance here. And it's actually really, really interesting that, and this really goes into my third theme, that we can sometimes find it hard to go on one side or the other. Some of us may find it hard to let go of doing. Some of us may find it hard to let go of being receptive or, or not doing. Or some of us may find that we, we have a hard time with certain kinds of doing. And this third theme is that of actually getting interested and looking at how we may at times, often unconsciously and automatically, identify with being a doer and find, find that it's a hard time. That it, for many of us, it's hard, I should say, to let go. And some of it can be humorous. I remember doing a retreat. This was quite a number of years ago. And the instructions given to me by my teacher were, because I think my teacher saw that I was pretty good as a meditator who did things. I could do meditation pretty well. But there was something, maybe some relaxation that was lacking. So my teacher, for 10 days, for a 10-day retreat, he told me, don't do anything, even meditation, but don't be distracted. How is that for an instruction? Don't do anything, but don't be distracted. And this was actually at a retreat in England at a place called a Gaia House and quite beautiful in Southwest England. And I found myself uh, really enjoying just walking in the fields near the center and enjoying it. And enjoying not doing formal meditation and, and as much as possible letting the awareness be there. And I found myself saying to myself after a while, I'm doing not doing really well. I said, whoa, whoa, the doer is strong. <laughs> the doer is strong. So, and I've seen that. And that was also something that I found in this retreat in February, even though in many ways I've emphasized in my own practice and teaching this receptivity, I still found that I had almost like what we call a, a limiting belief. It's a psychological term, meaning a deeply ingrained assumption, we might say. I had a kind of limiting belief in meditation. I always need to be doing something or I won't develop. And it was really interesting. I would work with just the letting go and just, can I just let go into being? And I noticed sometimes that was hard. Still these, this lingering sense of I need to be doing something. And again, a lot of this is related to so much uh, cultural conditioning. And I think we know that. You know, the conditioning to continually be doing or to be busy. How many people find yourself often really, really busy? 
Now, some of this is, of course, the way life is structured in this society, but some of it can be habit. I, I was thinking of in, uh, in the Japanese language, the figures that are there for what we would uh, translate as I'm busy, the figures translate as the soul dies. How's that? Being busy in Japanese, the, the figures, the soul dies. Some word could be the heart dies. Whoa, that's pretty striking. Anyone relate to that? Sometimes, uh, what was the joke that just came to it? Just came to mind. It's like we uh, life is what happens when we're too busy making plans. Do you know that one? Right, something like that. And so, very deep conditioning that makes it hard for us to. Uh, let go often, or to be. And so I think a valuable part of practice is just to notice this in yourself. Notice when, when you have some open time and there's some anxiety or some nervousness. I need to do something. Or the way that we, again, a lot of it is not just us. A lot of it's the way things are structured, right? and work is structured, can be, you know, an enormous amount asked of us. But there, there are ways that we can explore this. We can, in our meditation, invite receptivity, invite non-doing, and see what happens. See what that balance is like. We can take some time away, take an hour or two or three without doing anything. Let go entirely of doing and see what that's like. Sort of being with the flow of life moment to moment. How many people actually quote-unquote do something like that already? Just giving open time to explore. And what I'm suggesting is you can do that. <clears throat> Bring some awareness in and look for if there's that anxiety or if there's, oh, let's do this, I can find some, for some of us, we find some security in that doing. Or look into the part of ourselves that wants to fix things, take care of things, be a doer, be active, right? Again, there are positive dimensions to this, but there also can be a lot of habit. Can I listen to other people? Part of that receptivity we can see in listening. Can I listen empathically to another without needing to fix it, without needing to do anything? One of my teachers, and I, I studied the Hakomi approach to body-based psychotherapy, I had a teacher named John Eisman. He said that so much of our experience is just layered on habits from the past that covers over our authentic being. And he said that if we look actually deeply, we'll find moment to moment what he called 
the organic impulse. Very interesting concept. He said, if we look carefully, we'll find the organic impulse, which is what our being is inviting in that moment. It might be to stretch. It might be to move the body in a certain way. It might be to be with beauty. But we need to have a certain level of quiet and not doing to touch in in that way to what he's calling the organic impulse. So that's a third area to focus on, to actually do some inquiry, see what's happening with the doer. Do you have an identity as a doer? Look into it, look into the habit. The fourth theme I want to talk about, we'll start to open this up as a deeper spiritual practice. And this is to point to how in multiple spiritual traditions, there is a valuing of a kind of not doing, which occurs at a very, very, very deep level. And people use different language in different spiritual traditions. I'm going to primarily talk about the Chinese Taoist tradition and the Buddhist tradition. But we can also find this in uh, Christian traditions and Jewish traditions. Often in those traditions, there's a sense of for true, truly living in a deep way, we have to, in a sense, get out of the way and let, you know, as it were, invite, uh, in those traditions, would be to invite God to guide us to, to be there. You know, this is from the Hebrew Bible, from the Psalms. Be still and know I am God. Another phrase, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. We find this also in the teachings of, of Jesus. He said, I can of my own self do nothing, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father. And that's a constant theme. Uh, with the teachings of Jesus, that there is kind of a deeper mode of doing. We find this also, I think, something that's comparable. Another way of saying that, I think, in the Jewish and Christian traditions is that when there is a deep, deep letting go, we are moved by the sacred. It's one way of saying it. We are moved by the sacred. In the Chinese Taoist tradition, there is a term, uh, Wu Wei, W-U-W-E-I, which is uh, translated as non-action or effortless action, or I would say a doing that comes out of being. Really interesting sense. And I think I'll, I'll actually in a few moments, point to how actually, I think we actually know this from our own experience. But the use of this language can be helpful, I think. So in the 
uh, Tao Te Ching from Lao Tzu from around the time of the Buddha, 2,500 years ago. He says, one reaches doing nothing. By doing nothing, everything is done. Another passage from Lao Tzu, no action is undertaken and yet nothing is left undone. And this is from uh, Chuang Tzu. Uh, this is from a wonderful book. I'll, I'll show it to you. It's called The Way, the Way of Chuang Tzu, translated by Thomas Merton, the contemplative Christian. Very interesting. And I'll read, I'll read two things here. Let's see, the first one, this is a passage called Action and Non-Action. The non-action of the wise person is not inaction. It is not studied. It is not shaken by anything. Another passage, this is... Uh, this is a longer one. This is called the woodcarver. And this is really showing what this idea means in practice. And I think what I'll point to later is how I think some, a lot of us probably know this sense of a deep non-doing or a doing that comes out of a deep non-doing. We may know this in creativity or you know something like art or music. And I'll also point to some aspects of sports. Some of you know, some athletes talk about playing in the zone. How many know that term? You know, being in the zone. And I'll say that this, that's getting at the same thing as this. There's, there's a very interesting way. So this is called the woodcarver. King, the master carver, made a bell stand of precious wood. When it was finished, all who saw it were astounded. They said it must be the work of spirits. The Prince of Lu said to the Master Carver, what is your secret? And what he's going to say, basically, is I took days and days and came to a place of having my doing coming out of non-doing. And that's what leads to this being so amazing. That's what he's going to say. So here it goes. King replied, I am only a workman. I have no secret. There is only this. When I began to think about the work you commanded, I guarded my spirit, did not expend it on trifles that were not to the point. I fasted in order to set my heart at rest. After three days fasting, I had forgotten gain and success. After five days, I had forgotten praise and criticism. How does that sound? After seven days, I had forgotten my body with all its limbs. By this time, all thought of your highness and of the court had faded away. All that might distract me from the work had vanished. I was collected in the single thought of the bell stand. Then I went to the forest to see the trees in their own natural state. When the right tree appeared before my eyes, the bell stand also appeared in it clearly beyond doubt. All I had to do was put forth my hand and begin. If I had not met this particular tree, there would have been no bell stand at all. What happened? My own collected thought encountered the hidden potential in the wood. From this live encounter came the work, 
which you ascribe to the spirits. So there's this sense that there is a kind of a letting go of the doing, of the usual doing, and an unusual kind of doing comes out of that, which is, uh, comes out of a very deep place. Again, we could talk about it as uh, doing which comes out of being, doing which comes out of a deep non-doing, whatever language we want to use. This seems to be pointing to something. It's also something which can be experienced in meditation. And I want to talk, just give a few readings. This is, uh, these are actually from the Tibetan tradition. One is from the 14th century from a great teacher named Longchenpa. Awakened mind is by nature primordially pure. The true nature of phenomena is such that there is nothing to discard or adopt. Nothing that comes or goes. Nothing to achieve by trying. Let your mind and body relax deeply in a carefree state with an easygoing attitude like a person who has nothing to do. And he's pointing to the most profound kind of awareness, the most profound state is linked with not doing. Another passage from the same teacher, Longchenpa. Given awareness, which is not cultivated in meditation, if you meditate again and again, you will see that there is nothing to cultivate in meditation. Nothing to cultivate in meditation. That is the meditation of omnipresent awareness. Another passage from another text. Freedom is not due to effort. Rather, one abides timelessly in freedom. So this is really, I would say, telling part of the story. In that tradition, one actually does a lot of practice like the kind that we do to work up to the place where there's nothing to do. Does that make some sense? That you, you need to have your mind settled, you do certain practices, and then at a certain point you get the instructions. When your mind is clear enough and settled enough, you can let go and open to something deeper and more profound. So I think they're actually both there. And then the last area I want to talk about are some ways of approaching this in ordinary doing in our daily lives. And this is where I'll go to talking about music and art and so forth. So how to develop this quality of doing which comes out of a profound non-doing. And I'm going to suggest again that we're actually familiar with this experience. And we actually know it. We actually know what this is like. I think we know what it's like in areas where we're very, very proficient. That where we're very proficient, we actually don't have to think about what we're doing, whether it's, you know, doing a kind of manual labor, fixing something, being at a computer in some way. There, I think probably I would say that the forms of work which we do regularly there are times when we get into a kind of doing which doesn't involve thinking, extra thinking, where we're just at a high level 
uh, two psychologists, or uh, actually one psychologist and one philosopher, who were brothers, Hubert and Stuart Dreyfus, they developed a model of what mastery looks like in any particular form of work. And they said, when you're truly a master, and we might use other language for that, when you're truly, as it were, most proficient in a form of work, there is a kind of awareness that's there that's fully absorbed in what you're doing that doesn't take monitoring, doesn't take continually thinking, what should I do, that we're just simply, in a sense, performing at a very high level without any extra thinking. And I think we can find this in various ordinary experiences. Some of you know the Hungarian psychologist uh, who has a very difficult to pronounce name, Csikszentmihalyi. How many people know? He has the concept of flow. How many people have heard of that concept of flow? And what this is, he says, with flow, a, a person performing an activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, full involvement, enjoyness of the process of the activity. It's characterized by complete absorption in what one's doing. So there is a very high level of doing, and yet there's also a kind of non-doing. Does that make some sense? How many people can relate to this from your own experience, know something like this? And some of the places we find it most easily are in maybe like uh, sports experiences where people are in the zone. Uh, a friend of mine named Andrew Cooper wrote a book called Playing in the Zone, which is a wonderful book about sports. And I wanted to read a passage. This is from... Uh, uh, Billie Jean King, uh, talk, uh, the great tennis player, talking about this. She said, when you're in this special state, it's a perfect, perfect combination of action taking place in an atmosphere of total tranquility. When it happens, I want to stop the match and grab the microphone and shout, that's what it's all about, because it is. It's not the big prize I'm going to win at the end of the match or anything else. It's just having done something that's totally pure and having experienced the perfect emotion. And I'm always sad that I can't communicate that feeling right at the moment it's happening. I only hope people realize what's going on. So that can be experienced in sports. It can be experienced in something like music. You know, when I was uh, uh, talking to my, my brother, who's sort of a jazz and blues uh, pianist. And he was saying that being in that flow is a very, very common experience in music, particularly when your main form is improvisation, and that that's very familiar to him. Sometimes you have to guide it a little bit, but a large part of it is just being with the flow in a very natural way. You know, and my mother, uh, Bernice, was also a musician, and she was a pianist, and she often said, you have to be taken over by the music, right? So that it's not really me who's playing the music, you know? Or this is from uh, John Coltrane. As a musician, 
All I can do is get closer to the sources of nature and be in communion with the natural laws. And so there's a kind of an emptying out for that. And this is from art. This is from Picasso. He said, art washes away from the soul the dust of everyday life. He said, to draw truly, you must close your eyes and sing. <laughs> How does that sound? How many can relate to that? That there's a something like that. And he also said, it's something like becoming a child when you get to this quality of doing coming out of not doing. He says it takes a very, very long time to become young. So I think we can experience this in meditation when we just let ourselves totally be taken over by the flow. It takes a certain level of concentration. We can also experience this more in daily life, and I think we actually do experience it a lot, but we can invite this. We can invite this doing the dishes, taking a walk. Can I let go of doing? Can I, or can I have my doing come out of some deeper awareness? That's what I'm inviting here. That's what I'm inviting us both to see when we're actually experiencing this and notice it, because I think it happens a lot, but we don't always notice it. And then we can also invite it. What you might do if this uh, resonates with you is to take as an intention to let this occur with a particular activity. Maybe it's doing the dishes, taking a walk, being with a child. Let me, so, let me just be taken away by the moment and let go of doing. So let me finish with two things. First of all, let's take a few moments just to be silent and just invite yourself to reflect on whatever from my exploration of this theme resonated with you. And do you feel drawn to explore this in different ways in your meditation practice, the balance of doing and not doing? Maybe I need to actually do more, or maybe I need to be more receptive to look at the nature of the doer. Is there a way in my meditation that I can open up to this deeper quality of meditation coming out of uh, more out of my being? And are there ways I can do that in the daily flow? So just take a moment and see what resonates and see where you're drawn to explore this further. And set an intention, if you have one, for what comes next for you exploring this. If, again, if it resonates with you.
And then I want to finish with another reading from Chuangzu to close, and then we'll open things up for discussion. From the sages, emptiness of self, stillness arises. From stillness, action. From action, attainment. From their stillness comes their non-action, which is also action, and is therefore their attainment. For stillness is joy. Joy is free from care, fruitful in long years. Joy does all things without concern. For emptiness, stillness, tranquility, tastelessness, silence, and non-action, wu-wei are the root of all things. So thank you for your kind attention, for your receptivity, your active thoughts, <laughs> your doing, your not doing, and so forth. And uh, can open things up now if you have a uh, reflection or comment. So we want to use the... Uh, raised hand function that is, uh, you know, maybe under reactions on at the bottom, or so it depends on, I think, your version of Zoom. Some of you may have it as a something you can touch. And it's also possible if you want to share something to do so in the chat. And Maria Cristina will, uh, will ask a question or give a reflection from the chat. So let me invite again any could be a question, could be a, a reflection, a sharing of your own experience of this uh, doing coming out of not doing. Anything that really occurs to you, you know, when does this come alive for you? Or a question, just about anything I said. Yeah, so let's use the raised hand function, if you, if you can do that. Looks like uh, Christian. Yeah, yeah. 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 
you know. Yeah, beautiful, Christian. Yeah, and it comes from a deeper part of our being, right? You know, it almost like opens us up, you know, the word reverence also suggests it almost opens us up to, we might say, a more sacred way of being, you know, this very precious moment with your children, right? And so, yeah, I love the notion of reverence and um, it's really pointing to, uh, not pointing to what uh, the fact that it's um, the busyness isn't there, right? The doing drops away for some time. Even your sense of time, it's more of a eternal present probably, right? I didn't, I didn't talk too much about time, but this, all of this is very bound up with our sense of time as well. No, thank you for, thank you for that, Christian. That sounds, sounds great. Your children are fortunate. <laughs> thank you. Another sharing or question? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. 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 Well. Mm. Uh, John Coltrane, yeah. 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 Well, 
Well, thank, thank you, Alita. Am I pronouncing correctly? Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for that sharing. There's so much uh, there. But again, we can use different language, but pointing to these, uh, really, these different uh, approaches or traditions. And, you know, part of what I also heard from you, Alita, was that the, um, you know, that access, you were using the language of access to the spirit, could be perceived as dangerous or or threatening, right, in certain contexts. And, you know, it's, you know, maybe too much freedom or too much sexuality, right? And, uh, and could be seen as really threatening and problematic, but there's, yeah, but also something that, uh, you know, in over the, you know, over the period of time, over the last 150 years also preserves um, certain kinds of freedom in difficult, often difficult situations. Right, so I, I want to thank you for pointing that out because there's something in that uh, you know letting oneself be taken over by the spirit, which I think is very close to what we're pointing to. And it, I think the interesting thing is that it can happen in so many different ways. Yeah. So thank you, Alita. Anything further to add on your part? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And, and, you know, for some adults, it takes, we might say, it takes a little undoing training to let them get back there. <laughs> right. Yeah, just, to, just like in meditation. Yeah, thank you. And, yeah, yeah, if you want to, uh, is there an organization that you're connected with? Is it called Just Af uh, Diaspora? At both what? Okay, good. Well, uh, I teach there also. <laughs> so thank you. Other, other reflections, questions, sharing. Anything in the chat, Maria Christina? Great. So, yeah, could just be sharing something that, uh, you know, is your way of opening up. Uh, you know, maybe someone who experienced this in art or music or play. Even play could be a, a vehicle as well. Being with children, dancing, meditating. Mm -hmm. Or a question about anything I said. <laughs> <laughs> 
one person who likes this theme wanted me to do like a two or three day retreat on this topic. How many might like that? We could dance and bring in things like that. It'd be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna consider that. Yeah. Maybe it could bring you in, Alita. <laughs> that would be fun. Okay, is it uh, Maria? Please. Hi. Yeah. Great, yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. You know, I think, uh, again, we can experience this in the ordinary flow of daily life, but also in meditation. You know, generally speaking, it, it helps if we're you know, when we get somewhat settled, then we can start opening up in this way. Again, it could be just fairly settled. Let me just be with the flow of experience and keep tracking it, right? Uh, to really keep noticing the flow. That's one way to do it. At other times, when we're really super settled, let me let go of everything. Let me just be, let me rest in awareness without even trying to track anything. That's another way to to work with it. So it's, uh, there are ways that one can explore this. And generally speaking, it can be helpful just to explore these when, you know, initially just for a minute or two minutes or three minutes at a time, not to try to hang on to it, you know, but to, in meditation, just to let it open up for a while. And when it feels like it's fading, that's okay. And then just come back, get settled, and then maybe open up again for a little while. Over time, 
you can stay longer in a stable way. Yeah, thank you, Maria. Let's see, we're getting towards finish. Anyone, maybe uh, one or two more if there are, if anyone else does want to speak or share something, ask something. Oh, very nice. Maybe, yes. Oh. oh, thank you. Maybe you can save those. Send them to me by email. That'd be fun. That'd be nice because I'm not, I can't look at them and talk with people at the same time. But that's a advanced meditative capacity, maybe later. Okay. Anyway, um, going once. Anyone else want to share? Going twice. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I loved how this opened up out of my own retreat, you know, the theme, you know, and I've thought about it before and of course noticed when doing gets a little bit compulsive or tight, right? And again, there's so many ways that we can explore this. We can explore the opening. I think it's also really crucial to stay with noticing when the sense of doer gets a little bit um, in control you know, or becomes a little more obsessive because we want to both open up to these wonderful states, but also see what gets in the way. And so if we just do the first, it's not going to work so well. We have to also look, study with mindfulness when there, we're getting, when we're a little bit tight or when, again, we're in a time when we don't quote unquote have to do anything. We get a little anxious, right? Study that. Notice what that's like. So let's finish with two things. First, just to, again, bring to mind what might be your, your next step. Your next step or steps with this aspect of practice. How to keep exploring this if it resonates with you. Then we'll close with the dedication of merit, which is to remember that in many ways we do this practice for ourselves, in many ways we do this practice for those in our own circles, but we also, in so many ways, do this practice for others, ultimately all others beyond our own circles. May the benefits of our practice of this evening be there ultimately for all beings, knowing that we are part of all beings. So, Thanks everyone for your kind attention and for, yeah, for uh, exploring doing and not doing. If you'd like to, you could unmute. We can say hi and goodbye. And yeah. Uh, good night.
Bye-bye. I like to do this to say goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you, Maria Christina. Bye, everyone. Till next time. Thank you, Spirit Rock. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.